This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Virginia 7th District Representative Abigail Spanberger. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. America's sugar farmers, practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger next. America's sugar farmers have spent decades investing in sustainability. Being good stewards of the environment and protecting our air, land, and water is a personal mission for sugar growers. Many of America's sugar growers are multi-generational farmers, and sustainability means a great deal more than just preserving this legacy. It also means supporting sugar workers, healthy communities, and the consumers who rely on this essential ingredient. The sugar industry's commitment to sustainability is a commitment to a brighter future for us all, and it's made possible by America's no-cost sugar policy. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. At a closely contested race, Virginia 7th District Representative Abigail Spanberger won re-election to the House of Representatives and will continue her work on the House Ag Committee and the 117th Congress. While not growing up on a farm, Spanberger believes her success comes from listening to the needs of both the suburbanites and the farming community she represents. My hope would be that into the future, the Democratic Party, and I'm a Democrat, will continue and perhaps uh, in, a, in a more um, engaged and aggressive way to understand the needs of rural America um, and agricultural America and to, in fact, recognize that some of the biggest issues facing our communities, be it addressing issues of climate change and uneven weather patterns, you know, a lot of that, the solutions and part, you know, part of the solutions can be found when we listen to farmers and producers can be found when we engage and focus on healthy soil and and um, innovative agricultural practices, and we partner to recognize the strength and benefit not just to the the farmer producer, but in fact to the larger community and in, in, in our country and in environment. And when we're talking about issues of health care, you know, it, it, one of the most profound conversations that I had that has stuck with me very early in my time serving the Seventh District of Virginia was a roundtable that we did with cattlemen, and one of the gentlemen said, I've chosen to forego health insurance right now because my premium is so high and I can't keep my farm afloat. So, you know, in all of the discussions that we have, health care is a major issue for anyone who's self-employed, and, you know, chief among them being our nation's farmers and agricultural communities. So I, I think recognizing that everything that we're already talking about matters in our rural and agricultural communities, but in fact, there's conversations that may be distinct. And my favorite topic is broadband internet connectivity and one that I have been focused on since I first arrived on Capitol Hill. And now in this time of COVID, so many more people and so many more representatives across the country uh, are recognizing the real importance of broadband connectivity because something that, you know, many communities could take for granted, they're now seeing how vitally important it is not just because people want to have it in their home, but how it's important for students in school and small business owners, of course, and farmers are the original kind of work-from-home folks and individuals and those with existing conditions and veterans who might want to use telehealth services. And so this has been a major element of 
what's long been my priority, which is ensuring that broadband Internet connectivity is part of our larger conversation about infrastructure across the country. Um, in, In this time of COVID, many people are now understanding just how vital it is. For the ballots of 2020, there is a lame duck session that is ahead. The two sides talked prior to the election. There has been conversation post the election about COVID aid. What's possible, and is there any way to cross this financial divide of the House plan at over $3 trillion and a Senate plan that would be much more streamlined? Well, it seems uh, pretty straightforward in my perspective, but um, hopefully I can get people to agree with me. Let's stop talking about dollar amounts. Um, frankly, it's the dollar amount where people say, that's too high, that's too low, that's you know not what I wanted, that's not the number I put forth. And we're not talking about the programs that people need. And, you know, I've, I've worked very closely with my colleague Dusty Johnson of South Dakota with the Problem Solvers Caucus. We joined with uh, two other Democrats and two other Republicans and then the larger caucus over the summer on this exact premise, which is let's stop arguing about numbers and let's start talking about programs. And with our caucus, in total, we're 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. We put forth a framework of a plan of a relief package that we were able to get, all 50 of us, again, across party lines, across the ideological perspective, that would address the programs necessary to stabilize our economy, to help people, to ensure small businesses can stay afloat. You know, and the programs that we identified as necessary were direct payments to individuals, assistance to small businesses, support to state and local government, support to public schools, uh, well, to all schools, support to uh, rental assistance programs, uh, continued unemployment uh, benefits, and, and the, the list goes on a bit longer than that. And we put forth this framework saying, you know, there's been a time where people have walked away from the negotiating table. We are arguing, for lack of a better word, over a dollar amount. Here are the programs that we now have, 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans, who agree are the necessary programs to help the people that we represent. Um, And so while it wasn't able to move forward, we did have members uh, both in the House and on the Senate side who had engaged in this as, you know, broad of a spectrum. Senator Graham of South Carolina uh, had spoken publicly saying, we've got to take a hard look at this Problem Solvers Caucus framework uh, my own senator, Senator Kane from Virginia, uh, pushed out support for it, again, as a principle and as a framework to move forward. Uh, and it is my hope that in this lame duck session, we as representatives will come together and identify the, the programs that matter. Um, I certainly think that there is nothing more important than moving quickly and efficiently to ensure an agreement and a negotiated package. I'm not interested in another vote that is you know, driven by either party to demonstrate what it is that, you know, we would do in a, in a, uh, kind of, in a dream scenario. I want a package that will deliver relief. And we've done it four times before with our other relief packages where we came to the table, got a negotiated deal, and masked it quickly to benefit the American people. Um, and my expectation is that we should do no less than that. Um, and, and that's what I continue to push for. That's what I continue to advocate for. I will be as helpful and as aggressive on this point as I possibly can, um, because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, since you had 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats, and you did have a program's approach with tongue-in-cheek, what did it cost? <laughs> well, so that's the interesting <laughs> part, right? 
So what we did is we put stabilizers and reducers in it, noting um, or or, um, benchmarks. So recognizing that we don't know where we're going to be six months from now, um, we said, okay, if everything's going well with the virus, the virus being the measure um, and infection rates and the economy is able to open up more quickly, then we don't have to necessarily spend as much because we don't know where we're going to be six months from now. But in fact, if things are going poorly, we might have to spend more. So ours had a range that could be um, the low $2 trillion, well, actually, no, it went into the high $1 trillion, almost $2 trillion, um, closer to $2.7 trillion, again, depending upon what was necessary. And, and I think the, the reducers and boosters element of our program was key to the fact that we were able to bring so many people to the table because it was saying, you know, we don't know where we're going to be six months from now. There's a world in which we do need additional support and, and financial relief. There's also a world in which, uh, you know, things might recover more quickly, which, of course, is what we all want, in which case we may not have to make as great of, a, of an investment there. So ours, ours was, a, uh, was a nice window, depending upon where we are with the virus. Back in the 90s, we approved a farm bill that had a market-based approach. And certainly we've been then uh, on the waves of trade agreements and trade skirmishes, and some of those we caused uh, in the attempt to, uh, to gain better markets. So we've suffered some because of that, and we have suffered in the COVID, and there have been tremendous amounts of federal outlays to support agriculture. Uh, Congresswoman, how do we get back to a market-based approach in farm programs? And is there enough support on this committee that can defend agriculture because of the supports that we've received and still keep us on uh, a level playing field with adequate risk management tools? I think there's broad agreement that we want to make sure that farmers have what they need across the the country and that we are supporting America's agricultural sector. But time and time again, what I have heard from any producer who's come before Congress and certainly the producers across my district is they want to do their job and they do not want handouts. They want to be able to you know live off of their livelihood. Um, and I, I think that's uh, an important element. We should be there to support them when times are tough, but we also need to be clear about the fact that we shouldn't create those tough times. The trade instability, and and I've been very frank, uh, as a former CIA officer, my time has been, my time prior to Congress was spent in the national security realm. Um, Diplomacy is very important to me. Negotiations are very important to me. And, um, you know, under the current administration, we have caused some damage to international relationships, uh, which have negatively impacted uh, American agriculture, which has created instability, which has required that Congress step forward to provide support and aid to farmers. Um, I think that's an element where trade um, and relationship building, like with any buyer and seller, it isn't something that we can just turn back on. And so I also serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee so this conversation is very important to me because it is the place where foreign affairs and agriculture um, come together. And expanding trade and market access uh, for, so farmers can focus on competing, and, and we know American farmers can compete, um, is a priority of mine. I think we had a good step forward with USMCA, and I think we should continue to follow that example where rather than 
creating complicating factors and creating or at least exacerbating trade wars, we should be looking for places uh, where we can do, um, we, meaning members of Congress, can ensure that we are advocating for deals that will allow uh, for producers across this country to have access to markets where they can sell their products. Um, and I, I do think that um, uh, President-elect Biden uh, will be very good in this sense. And, and his experience uh, as uh, the former leader of the Foreign Relations Committee on the, uh, in the Senate, I think, will be an incredibly valuable um, experience set, and certainly his time as vice president, an incredibly valuable experience set when it comes to repairing relationships that have been impacted and that, by extension, have created major challenges for American agriculture, um, and also strengthening relationships that long-term will be beneficial to um, producers across our country. Mr. Biden has discussed creating jobs in climate-smart agriculture, resilience, and conservation. And there has been discussion that uh, one of the avenues to accomplish this is the Conservation Stewardship Program. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious... Has Mr. Biden talked to you or talked to members uh, that are on the Agriculture Committee about what this new framework looks like? And do we have to do that at the expense of existing programs? Do they go away, risk management tools, in order to usher this in? Or is there a way to have both? So there's absolutely a way to have both. And in my role as chair of conservation and forestry, one of the things that we have explored in our committee hearings has been the benefits to farmers when they utilize conservation programs. And the benefits are increased outputs, decreased uh, cost in terms of fertilizer and water and, and you know, uh, other elements that historically or in, without implementation of conservation practices or soil health practices, uh, they might have to employ. Um, it, for our cattle farmers, the investment of, in, in riparian barriers along waterways that are good for water health and, and soil health and um, ultimately carbon sequestration, you know, are also, at, at least here locally in Virginia, showing real benefits uh, to the farmers who choose to utilize rotational grazing. And, um, you know, so so seeing how... While they are investments uh, on a particular farm, on a particular piece of land to employ new practices, ultimately the benefits uh, exist to the farmers, to the to the individual um, uh, producer. And and as a Virginian, we speak very frequently about the Chesapeake Bay as an example of how our region's farmers have been able to contribute to not just the health of the Chesapeake Bay, but an entirely new um, rebirth of the oyster industry um, and the health of our bay overall. So it's been good from an environmental standpoint, but also tremendously helpful uh, from an economic standpoint here regionally. And, and when I've spoken with producers who are putting a focus on soil health, the benefit that that brings to them, uh, and I know I don't have to tell you this, but the benefit that brings to them in employing, you know, new strategies to optimize soil health has economic benefits in the long term. And so, you know, getting back to the discussion of President-elect Biden and what this uh, 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 focus on 
conservation practices and programs within the agricultural sector means is this is, in fact, exactly what I want to see, which is ensuring that farmers and producers are at the table. Because when we're talking about climate solutions, when we're talking about you know, how to strengthen a green economy, we have to be talking about what that means um, on our farmlands, on our forest lands. And I um, introduced a bill in the House focus on just that, which is ensuring that our farmers and foresters can be part of carbon markets. So ensuring that through USDA, uh, farmers and foresters can be part of that carbon marketplace, that the good practices they are employing on their land can in fact be financially beneficial to them. Um, and it shows that conservation can be a bipartisan issue. Um, and it shows that, in fact, when we're looking at some of the ways to address the challenges facing our country, um, we can do it in a collaborative way. The, this bill, um, the um, Growing Climate Solutions Act, has the support of conservation and uh, environmental groups. It has the support of farming and forestry groups. And it has the support of industry as well because uh, it it allows us to find a solution where they already exist and to optimize and encourage um, the engagement that farmers and foresters could have uh, in this carbon marketplace. That's just one example of a pillar of a place where we could be, um, you know, really engaging agriculture as part of the solution by employing practices that are also helpful and good and advantageous for them. Uh, and, and not being prescriptive about it, right, about ensuring that they know these options exist and that they can be financially beneficial to them uh, and their family or, uh, you know, a larger-scale farm. I don't think I'm too far off-center of suggesting that the last time that the White House was blue, that the attitude uh, that farmers experienced from Washington was guilty until proven innocent. So now as a, a new administration comes in and they are hopeful that they can be a part of a solution they also fear that there may be more of a stick than a carrot when it comes to some of these areas and that they actually do get an opportunity to participate. I think some fear a reentry into the Paris Climate Accord that we might agree to things that would come back and put hardship on not only agriculture but small business. Is there a different approach, do you think, under this coming administration? I, I believe so, and I'll, I'll say this. Um, any farmer, any producer in my district uh, should know that they can come to me with any of those concerns. And I, I would hope that any of my colleagues on the Ag Committee, you know, be they Democrats or be Republicans, are going to be strong and fierce advocates for the voices of the people that, that they serve, that we serve. Um, I, I think that there cannot be an all-or-nothing approach. I think that people who don't understand agriculture cannot walk into the room and say, oh, my goodness, look at all these cows. They emit methane, right, in such a way where they're erroneously talking about how, in fact, cows uh, emit methane. you get got a whole room full of cattlemen who say, my goodness, they don't know a single thing about um, uh, uh, about our industry. You've got your dairy farmers who say they don't know a single thing about our industry, and it shuts down the conversation. You know, w what I think is going to be incredibly important is for us to say there's so much innovation happening, and there's not going to be a solution found in blaming any one industry, be it, you know, agriculture or anything else, because, in fact, the work, and I, again, I, I will 
aggressively use Virginia as an example, the work that we have done here on the ground to ensure the health of the Chesapeake Bay has been good for the economy. And there's, there's been some issues, and certainly I've spoken with some, uh, some producers who, um, you know, have, have made clear with me some of the challenges that they faced. Um, but I think it's an example of a success story where we can look at what the common goals are and, and find steps forward. And, you know, there's so much that is happening in agriculture. There's so much that's happening, and, and I speak frequently of forestry as well, in terms of looking at, you know, the value of nanocellulose um, and using basically debris from the forest floor to ensure that we can make stronger carbon-captured uh, concrete um, and building materials that are stronger and better for the environment. Um, and these are new growth industries for, in this case, foresters. Um, you know, there's a lot that's being done with um, uh, farmland and, and farmers who choose to utilize their land to also install solar panels. And what's the benefit there? And, you know, cows can graze and animals can graze under those panels. And we've seen some of that in Virginia, not um, uh, aggressively in my district, but some of that in Virginia and certainly across the country. And so I, I, I do think that under the Joe Biden administration, there will be a significant um, effort at bringing a broader coalition to the table. And, and certainly anyone in the agricultural sector should rest assured that I will be a, uh, a, a loud advocate for um, ensuring that farmers and producers are among, um, uh, uh, among those uh, coalition members because um, it's, it's important and they are part of the solution. And certainly having people with no background in agriculture uh, prescribing without listening is never going to be a pathway towards the real solution. Well, Congresswoman Spanberger, the one thing I can say is that time goes way too fast when we have the opportunity to talk. Uh, in closing, congratulations on receiving a Friend of Farm Bureau Award from the American Farm Bureau. And thank, thank you for you. thank you for what you have done for agriculture. And advance, thank you for the things that you will do on behalf of this industry. Thanks for being a part of this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you get the last word. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, speak with you. I hope to have the conversation continue into the future. Uh, maybe I'll be a little bit shorter with my answers uh, so we can get to more, more topics in the future. But you know, I'm, I'm grateful for all that you do to keep people informed, to uh, ensure that the conversation related to the agricultural sector is uh, a strong and vibrant one. And uh, certainly to anybody listening, please know that um, our committee, the Agriculture Committee, is um, is is a fantastic uh, committee that does good work and is is focused on serving the needs of uh, of our agricultural communities across the country. And um, I'm uh, and, and rural America, you know, as a as an addition to uh, agricultural communities and rural America writ large. So um, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to serve my district through my work on that committee uh, and and really serve the the American people through my work on that committee. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to some of the great legislation that we'll be able to put forward, our additional support to uh, our producers across the country. And uh, thanks so much for having me on this conversation. I'm ready to get back uh, to Capitol Hill so we can start focusing on the uh, the next farm bill, if you can believe it. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about. Our thanks to Virginia 7th District Representative Abigail Spanberger, our guest this week on Open Mic. 
AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. America's sugar farmers, practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Alley.